This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Welcome to today's mini masterclass with me, James Roy. I'm the producer at Westwards, and today I'm speaking with Brooke Robinson. How are you, Brooke? Hello, good, thank you. Um, so you're currently up here in Daffodil Cottage in the Blue Mountains as part of our artisan residence. Yeah. How are you finding it? Lovely. Yeah, yeah. A few more days to go, but um, making lots of good progress on my project. What are you working on? I'm actually working on a crime novel, a psychological thriller, that I only have a few more chapters left to go, so almost ready to um, start querying agents and seeing if I can get it out there. Has anyone looked at it yet? Um, a few chapters at the beginning, and a few people have looked, um, a couple of agents in the UK have looked at the synopsis and given me ideas on the concept, but no one's actually read the, the novel yet, so um, yeah, e exciting and scary. Have you published novels before? I haven't. No, this is my this is my first. You write for performance predominantly, don't you? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Playwright. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, uh, just for a little while. For anyone who's listening who might be interested in writing for for, for performance, uh, I guess it's a pretty pretty busy field, isn't it, at the moment? The uh, writing for performance with um, Netflix and all the streaming services and and so on. Yeah, I mean, I suppose theatre is, is business as usual, but yeah, I mean, we're all hoping that someone from Netflix comes to see our play and then options it afterwards in the foyer. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> what, what, sort of, what sort of hit has theatre taken with COVID? Oh, gosh. I mean, I guess, it's, I guess it's sort of difficult for me to tell. I mean, certainly... From the point of view of a freelance individual artist, um, it is a bit scary looking at grants and funding opportunities that, that you can apply for. That is a bit scary. Um, I'm doing, I'm working on a play with Campbelltown Art Centre at the moment, which hopefully is still being produced next year, that's, you know, largely sort of unaffected by COVID. But yeah, I do wonder about the, the, I mean, if we were to ask the bean counters that we may not feel the effects of this for another couple of years, I suspect. So tell us a little bit about your background as a writer for performance, for anyone who doesn't know your name, because it's tricky, isn't it, that um, writers are often the people who are invisible in this whole process, even though it, come, it comes out of our mind, doesn't it, a lot of the time? Well, I, I mean, I have to admit that that is what it's one of the things that I love and you know I often say I often say to actors like I don't know how you do this when a job where if you become successful you lose your anonymity mm. whereas um you know even uh we mentioned Avatar earlier Shane Salerno is the guy who wrote Avatar um but even if that was your favorite film you wouldn't recognize him if you if he walked past you on the street but you would recognise Sam Worthington, you yeah, know? Right. Um, I guess it's a bit like that for novelists too, isn't it? I mean, with the exception of, say, of maybe Stephen King and yeah. J.K. Rowling, most, yeah, most yeah. novelists can be anonymous. Yes, yes. Even if you, yeah, even if you did become extremely successful, you're unlikely to lose your anonymity. So I really like that, but if that isn't something that sounds attractive, don't be a writer. <laughs> Be an actor. 
So tell us a little bit about your work, what your history as, as a writer for performance. What, what have you worked on? Maybe I'll work backwards. So the play that I'm working on now, which should be produced next year, is about the robo-debt scandal. So, yes, I, which perhaps is a good segue. I tend to, if I can, I tend to like to write about um, fairly topical issues, which is, is, some, is a good strategy for theatre. Um, I think I would probably argue that writing about issues is more difficult to say if you're a poet or a novelist, but it seems to work really well for the medium of theatre. Um, I wrote a short play last year for the Old Vic in London, which was about the international arms trade. London has, every two years, has one of the world's biggest arms fairs, which is where they, Britain sells, you know, weapons to Saudi Arabia to drop on Yemen and that kind of thing. So, um, but it is something that even British people tend not to know about. So I thought, okay, here's kind of a, here's a good topical issue to explore. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the kind of thing I like to do. A couple of my plays have been psychological thrillers, which is the link between my pivot to crime novel writing. I would not recommend that. I would say that theatre doesn't really um, treat genre very well or it can't hold genre or something like that. Um, so I would... They were my early plays and I probably wouldn't recommend um, doing a genre piece. Yeah, I mean, it can go horribly wrong. Kind of, I, I, I remember going and seeing one of... I don't know if it was his very last play or it was, it was one of his last plays, Bob Ellis's... Oh, yes, yes. The, the one about um, Ben Chifley, I think it was. Um, God, it was excruciating. Mm. It was three hours long and it was a, a one-hander. And, um, yeah, it was grim. And even Bob Ellis was nodding off towards the end of it. He, oh, dear. We went to the opening yeah. night. and um, Anyway, I've probably yeah. upset some people by saying that, but it was it was kind of grim. Yeah, yeah. I think... I mean, I've written a couple of plays that are one-handers, and, but I would say 90 minutes for a one-hander. <laughs> well, I, this had an intermission, and there were a lot of spare seats after the intermission, yeah. it has to be said, you know. Do we stay here and drink $15 glasses of champagne, or do we get, just go home? Yeah. That must be... That must be is that an experience you've ever had, watching, watching people skulk off at half-time and feel like I've... Um, is, is that a kind of K, mm. KPI that you, you work towards, the way people feel about the, the play in real life? Yeah, it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to tell. I mean, I love um, the British playwright Lucy Kirkwood, you know, who's very successful and, and brilliant, says that during the interval she goes into um, the toilets and, like, hides mm-hmm. and over... And she does that deliberately to kind of overhear what people are saying because often theatres are notorious, especially for women, having very long queues for the for the lose. Right. So people often will chat, you know, with the, with it with the person they went with or with strangers. Um, and she says that especially during previews where playwrights are usually rewriting, that's where she gets her feedback from the lose. That could oh, <laughs> you're asking for trouble, though, aren't you? Like, yeah. You're yeah. opening yourself up to some. The potential for some very dark feelings. Yeah, yeah, it's it's tricky with reviews and things. I mean, some people decide that they're not going to read them during the run, and some people will, won't read them until after the play is finished, and yeah. then you sort of, you know, that was your last project. Um, yeah, it, probably it's for everyone to make a decision on on 
how they think they can deal with that while the show's still going on. I've never had a theatre review because I've never written for theatre, but I imagine it's similar for, for you guys when you get a review where it's glowing throughout, but then there's one line in there that says, but X could have been better, and that's the one you kind of focus on and... and, and obsess about yeah yeah i mean i guess it's it's often said if you believe the good things that people will write about you you have to believe the bad as well so yeah that's that's that decision am i going to read it am i going to take it in or am i or am i not going to if i am going to read it am i going to take it on face value and and amend the things that need amending it or just dismiss all of it yeah 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 absolutely i guess the danger would be and you do hear of this um, usually, you know, there's such a long lead time in theatre, things are pro, especially in this country, things are programmed like a year in advance. You'll be working on something new by the time your show's on. So, you know, I think you need to ask yourself, if I do get negative reviews, is that going to impact the project that I'm working on now, just from a sort of self-esteem point of view? <laughs> um, and you do hear stories of, of people that, you know, then find themselves really blocked or underconfident um with their next project well i guess it's not quite the same thing but it's kind of similar the um birdman that movie with uh, you know about personal confidence and yes and yes being typecast as a particular particular yeah. character for your entire career and so forth but that that's sort of more the actor's um burden to bear isn't it so as as a novelist now what are you finding are the main differences between writing for a performance and writing in a novel? I mean, is it a matter of having more control over how you set the scene? You're less reliant on things like direct people like directors and whatever. Do you find that encouraging? Do you find that liberating? Do you find that more of a burden? How, how do you mm. approach that? Well, I have to say what I love is... Um, I was saying this to someone the other day who's a playwright. It was like, with a novel... Characters can just say what they're thinking and say what they want. So with theatre, you know, um, uh, I was doing this the other day with the RoboJet play I'm doing. I needed to get something across, but I had to spend the whole day thinking of a metaphor or a line that this character could say that the meaning would would be imbued in the subtext. Mm. And that took me all day. Mm. But that's quite a good day if you're a playwright. But with a novel... I could have written that line in two minutes because the character would just say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I kind of loving that. And also as someone who's written a lot of monologues in the past, I do like the ability to kind of go inward and go deeper into a character, which you can do with a novel. Um, again, for the same reason, because you can actually say what someone's thinking or feeling, whereas if you do that in theatre, that's, that's quite bad dramatic writing. I've been a novelist for you know, 25 years and when I studied screenwriting I had to really put away that freedom I had to say it the way I wanted to. Yeah. But what I did fall back on was my dialogue and that sort of thing. Yes, yeah. I guess it's different, is it, going coming from fiction, from writing for performance to writing prose is would be different than writing for prose and then becoming a writer for performance, I suppose? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I'd probably find it more difficult if I was writing, um, if I was trying to write a very literary novel, but because I'm writing um, genre, 
I feel like I can really use my dramatic writing skills because I'm writing a thriller and they're the skills that you need. And you can use the subtext that you've, those skills of subtext that you've developed in theatre, you can use those in the, in the dialogue. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of, I approach my scenes really in the novel in a pretty similar way I would if I were, if I were writing um, a play or something for screen. Um, but certainly, yeah, I mean, you know, I certainly look at very literary novels and I think that would be like starting from scratch. But, um, and certainly, you know, a lot, of, a lot of genre books, a lot of crime and thriller books, the novels on the page aren't that different to their screenplays. Mm. You know, when you mm. really look at them, a great example of this, if anyone's interested, is um, Adrian McKinty, who used to live in Melbourne, uh, The Chain, which is a thriller that's been optioned for millions of dollars, um, was one of the books where I read and thought, okay, this is very interesting. On the page, this is almost like a screenplay. I can see how I can do this because these are the, these are the same skills. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of maybe children's writing, which is you know, my main area, lends itself to that kind of transition to screenplay because a lot of children's writers do write in a fairly filmic kind of way. Mm. It's a scene-based kind of writing rather yeah. than a complex structure that you might find in, in other, other forms. Have you done a lot of television writing? I've only kind of dabbled. Um, and How do you find that different from writing for stage? Uh, well, I suppose I've dabbled in the sense of, um, uh, if people don't know, with, with getting into screenwriting, you end up doing millions of pitch documents, what are called short documents, um, you know, to get your ideas considered. You don't really just go and write. I mean, you might write a spec pilot, but generally you're writing pitch documents. You're not just writing the script and trying to get someone to pick that up as you might do for a play um so I have to admit my very limited experience with screenwriting is is quite um unsatisfying because you're just writing pitch document after pitch document and revising and revising and you you feel like you're not actually doing the creative work um and certainly you know when I was living in the UK I met so many screenwriters that would say make a make a full-time living for the year writing screen writing for screen but actually just writing like pitch documents and then they'll pay you to write a bigger one and then and then we want a 20 page one and then we want a 30 page one they're not option it and never make it yeah yeah so um i wonder how that feels though to be to be making your living writing things that you feel confident probably aren't ever going to get made that that can't be that must be a bit soul destroying i i do think about that a lot and yeah i've i've met a number of people over the years who basically in that position i guess you have to because without the audience why are we doing what we do yeah yeah which is the thing about writing plays i guess is you can you know not all of my plays have been produced but most of them have and you can be pretty confident writing a play that you can get it up somehow you know like it it may not be at sydney theater company it probably won't be it might be at you know a fringe theater somewhere but you can be pretty confident that it will find an audience um whereas i don't i mean what the you know people say the statistics for screen even for things that are optioned is like one percent or something so um yeah i don't know how you i guess you you have to have hope though because otherwise you know you wouldn't sit down in front of the desk every day mm. maybe it's delusion you need a bit of 
healthy self-delusion. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that, that sort of leads us into the other question I had for you, which is the one of audience. My experience in theatre is that when I go to the theatre, what I find makes me breathless is the idea that the people on stage could screw it up royally. You know, when it's a film, it's gone through the editing, it's gone through the cutting, it's been through the, the test audiences, all that stuff, and, you know, there's the director's cut and all this. But I remember going and seeing a play years ago, um, and there was a scene on there where the male and the female leads started having a fairly heavy passion, if you like. Yep. And there were hands going into places where I didn't think hands should go on a stage. And, it was, and we were in the front row, and it was really uncomfortable. Yeah. But in a kind of interesting mm, way. Mm. Now, that's an extreme example, but as the playwright, when you sit in the audience and you... Are you conscious of the energy in the audience when that's hap- that kind of thing is happening, when there's energy on the stage? Yeah, I guess I guess you try to achieve that by writing really interesting and provocative stage directions. So... Um, it's yeah i would encourage anyone to to i mean obviously read as many scripts as they can but you might be surprised that some of the best stage directions aren't prescriptive so they won't be you know um john walks across the room and picks up a cup of coffee the stage direction will be um a star explodes in the sky or mars moves closer to jupiter and that might sound absurd but that that gives in the rehearsal room and in performance that gives the actors and the directors a really great opportunity to do something different every night and some directors will be put off by that some directors won't like something that um is so that they can't do so literally um but most love it most love the challenge and and actors as well i mean that's why people do theater because there's so much space for everybody to um to make the work make it their own. Have you had terrifying moments where someone on stage has found themselves in the wrong part of the script and, and you're, you're thinking to yourself, how are they going to get their way out of this? Is that a... Yeah, oh, I certainly have and, and yeah, calling for lines, especially during previews and things. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, especially during previews and things, it's, you know, um, I don't know, even if you're not nervous as such, yeah, you sort of, you're just thinking about your own, your own role in this, I think. And you're not really listening properly. Actually, in London, I met, God, I was at a workshop and um, someone came up to me and was, was very familiar, like we'd met before. And I'm, I've usually got a pretty good memory and I was like, I just do not remember this guy at all. And anyway, I asked a friend later and it turns out he was in the audience of a play reading that I did but because you're just operating on such a different mental sphere while you're, you know, such kind of high stakes emotionally, I just, like, apparently had a big conversation with this guy and just <laughs> blanked it out, um, which normally I just would never do. But you just, I, yeah, you just don't take a lot of stuff in, you know, which is maybe sort of preservation as well. Do you, <laughs> do you ever find yourself on stage? Do you do? Any oh God, no, 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 no. And I, and I would say that comes back to, um, I love the the anonymity of being a writer. You know. But you're never tempted to do the, do the Quentin Tarantino thing and give yourself a cameo in everything you ever make. You know, the one that I would quite like to do is um, 
Jane Harper, the crime writer, had a cameo in The Dry. So if anyone's seen it in the op- the opening scene um, in the funeral in the church, she's just sitting in the pews. I thought you were going to say she's the body in the corner. Yeah, <laughs> I do that too, yeah. yeah. But, you know, like as an extra, I would do that. Because um, Margaret Atwood ends up, she's, she's got, she's an extra in Handmaid's Tale. Oh, right, yes. In, when I they're out on the I island, read... out in the, yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. she's one of the... Yeah, One of yeah. The other people, I think I would do that for, um, yeah, for screen, but I wouldn't, I mean, less in Australia, but in the UK because they have much bigger casts. Um, there's often the role of um, what they call like supernumerary, I always get this word wrong, supernumeraries, where it's like you're an extra on stage. Mm-hmm. So it's not a speaking line. And um, you would see these jobs kind of advertised a bit. And a couple of times I thought, I should do this because it would be a good learning, you know, it would be a good learning experience. I've never been on stage. Maybe it would help my writing. But then the idea of every night going into a live theatre and even if it's just to walk across the stage and pick up a mug of coffee, I'd be just utterly terrified. Yeah, right. Absolutely terrified. That I would screw up someone else's play, I think. Well, maybe there's a maybe there's a play in that. I would. It's just that. I, I mean, I, I love these kind of meta meta ideas. Like, for example, I don't know if you've, you've probably seen the film Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Mm, yeah. Robert, and he just happens to end up being a screenwriter or an actor because he is running away from a real life police chase and staggers into a into a, an audition. Um, and the other one like that that I I really enjoyed was. Um, Extras, Ricky Gervais. Oh, of course. And, yeah, know. yeah, brilliant. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, finally, if somebody out there is going, I really feel like I, I, I want to write for scr- screen or stage. Oh gosh. Well, I would say, um, I mean, theatre is a theatre is a good place to start for either. Um, and the, I mean, apart from the writing, the most important thing with getting started with theatre is to actually meet people. Um, because you write the script on your own, but you can't do anything in theatre alone. You need you need to know actors, you need to know directors. Um, so that would, apart from the writing, that would be my main piece of advice: is you know go to workshops, um, get out there and meet other meet other people, especially actors, directors, um, and that's how you that's how you get your work on. Don't don't isolate yourself, even though you're the writer. Do you value um, live readings? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I did do one... Not for your own work, for other people's work. Oh, for other people as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I often I often go. Um, there's been quite a few on Zoom over the last sort of year, which is a, a bit more difficult. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. Especially if read, you know, if, if you get the chance to read the script either before or after, you'll learn a lot from how how you perceive it on the page to what it actually feels like in the room when it's in someone's mouth. The last mini masterclass we did was one that I did on my own where I talked about the word processes that people use. Mm. What do you use? Well, I'm a bit um, old-fashioned, I guess. I do a little bit longhand and then I use word, um, just use like plain old word. But I, I do own... Um, and have owned over the years like more fancy like software. Final draft yeah, I do. I do own Final Draft, and I've had Scrivener, um, but I just don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't enough. know why. I think it's because it's. Well, actually, who who was it? I think it was Lucy Preble, um, 
a British playwright. I went to a talk of hers in London and she said, well, she actually says for first drafts for plays, you shouldn't even write character names because if you're writing the character name and then dialogue, your brain is switching between a little bit of admin creative, admin creative, and it just gets in the way. Just write it, just write it plain. Just write it plain. And, and I wonder if that's my thinking with final draft. I'm always thinking about, oh, where do I have to click? Which drop down menu is this and this? Whereas in Word, it's just, you know, it's just, yeah. Okay. Brooke Robinson, thank you so much for chatting with us about uh, all things stage. Thank you. And uh, enjoy the remaining days of your, uh, your time here at Daffodil Cottage. I will. Thank you very much.